My name is Tony Hodge. Welcome to Conversations About Mining and Society. Anna, welcome, Professor Anna Littleboy. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a professorial research fellow here at um, the University of Queensland, and I lead a cross-cutting program within the Sustainable Minerals Institute called Transforming the Mine Life Cycle. So we've talked about your cross-cutting theme over the past several weeks, and you've come to talk about it in terms of accelerating mining's movement towards sustainability by thinking about the full life cycle. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I guess, um, as we all know, mining, m m the act of mining is a very disruptive act. It, it disrupts uh, the earth, it disrupts the environment, it disrupts people, it disrupts the economy. It's a hugely disruptive act. And uh, as a result of that, it actually has a very high level of impact on many, many of the dimensions of sustainable development that are becoming increasingly important to us today. Um, now, mining and mining companies know this, of course, and there's an awful lot of work that goes on around... Um, so wait a minute, Anna, Anna. If it's so disruptive, why do we do it? We've got a conundrum in today's society. We need minerals and we need materials and we need metals in order to um, live as a growing society and a growing population. So we need to mine in order to access those metals. But what we also need to do is to undertake that act of mining, which is very disruptive, in a way that doesn't in any way work against the concept of sustainability. It doesn't exacerbate uh, poverty. It doesn't um, increase unfairness or corruption. It, it, it leaves the land better than it was when we started. And so a lot of what my program is about is about how can mining, this disruptive act, be an agent of transition towards greater levels of sustainability. And for me, the word accelerating is really important here. This is about um, how do we create the change fast enough that it's keeping up with the pace of change in the world around us. So some people will argue that, that we can affect that acceleration by using less or using it better. And you know, of course, of the concept of the circular economy, yeah. that, that, that we can recycle more. Where does that fit into this? Why can't we use less and be more efficient and be less disruptive? Well, I think um, some of that comes down to the fact that the, the, the pace at which we can move to a circular economy is not keeping up with the pace of increasing materials and metals that we need. And therefore, we have to do both. We have to think about how do we walk more lightly on the world through concepts such as the circular economy and how do we continue to support what we as humans aspire to, better standard of living, pulling people out of poverty, um, increasing autonomy in a population that is um, accelerating at an exponential rate. Circular economy thinking is not enough to continue to support the population growth that we're seeing. And there was some work on this done at Yale University recently that they, they, they looked at the metals required in order to um, deliver 
um, sustainable development and meet the goals, meet the aspirations of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And they did some scenarios around this. And to meet those aspirations of sustainability, A, we need more metals than we do if we just want to carry on business as usual. And B, we need about um, 180%, so a lot more than the full total of metals that are currently available around the world. And that includes if you recycle everything that is currently recyclable using today's technology. So let me come back to you for a moment, Professor Littleboy, because you followed an eminent career in science and research here in Australia. And at the peak of that, you decided to come over to the Sustainable Minerals Institute and run something called a cross-cutting integrative theme. Why did you do this and why is that important? I'm a change agent by nature. Uh, I have spent my career sitting on often uncomfortable boundaries between scientific disciplines, between notions of science and social science, between notions of uh, technology solutions and notions of changing process all my life in a research career that now spans about uh, 32 years, I think. I have spent my time working about how to integrate some of these great ideas to come up with solutions that are even better. And what the Sustainable Minerals Institute offers is a chance to do that within a university environment where I can access, I can access thought leaders at the UQ Business School, I can access people who understand about the history of ideas, I can speak to political economists and I can work alongside people with deep technical understanding of how you engineer processes. So this is really important because some people would say a university environment is a, an ivory tower off at the corner of society. How do we get those ideas and affect the change that you would like to see occur in society and, and reflect the wisdom that you would hope society would embrace? How do we get that more broadly integrated into the thinking of people in the society in general? Yeah, I'm not going to answer that question directly, <laughs> but I do want to reflect on something that I've learned since I came to the University of Queensland, which is the real power of the university in societal change. And the power comes from the ability here to think about things in a way that isn't particularly driven by any paradigm of how we operate as society. We can, we can think about what things could be in a way that very few other people can outside the university environment. And um, at the university here, I've really begun to appreciate just how important that is. But in our society today, there are a growing number of people um, particularly in political leadership positions, who are rejecting the idea of that as important in society. They are rejecting the concepts of science and deep research. How do you respond to that from the ivory tower in an effective way? There are so many ways of looking at the world. Looking at the world through science and deep research is one of those ways, and it is important. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. And so other things, that need to be brought into the frame in terms of how you look at the world. How do you position society to deal with the 
increasing complexity, the heightened level of uncertainty that we have in terms of how this century will play out. You've got to put that deep knowledge, deep wisdom, structured and, and validated thinking alongside the processes and institutional structures that will then um, coalesce around that knowledge to affect change. So you have to look at decision-making in a number of different frames. Where do you get the knowledge from? How will that knowledge be viewed by a whole range of different actors in the decision-making framework? And then what do you do about it? And I suppose coming back to the program of Transforming the Mind Lifecycle, uh, this conundrum that we need minerals and metals for the burgeoning society, but we need to make sure that we produce them without um, exacerbating adverse effects. It's not just a problem for the industry. This is a problem for society. For me, the, the key to accelerating change, and that's what we're talking about here, is to shift our mindset from thinking about the process of mining as a series of transactions between the miner and the contract miner and the OEM, between the miner and the community, between the, the regulatory system and the miner, between the miner and the value chain. To, so, so shifting from the mindset of it's a series of transactions and we manage and govern them through market mechanisms to thinking about mining as a process of transition. So go from transaction mindset to transition mindset where mining is is something that helps, can help a region transition from a point in time to another point in time. And the community in that region, they will experience mining for many decades, but they'll still be there when the mining's gone. So how do we think not just about what do we do by bringing mining into a site? How do we run the mine, plan it, construct it, operate it, close it? But thinking about, okay, how can this mine and everything we have to do through planning, operating and closure lead to a better outcome post-closure? Very different mindset. And that's what my program is trying to get at. Wouldn't it be cool? Because there are things you could do with your mine design that would increase your environmental and social value if you thought about it really early on. Wouldn't it be cool if we could get mine planning processes that were thinking about environmental and social impact before commitments were made to a certain type of mining? Now, in order to affect that change, we have to present a really good value proposition as to why um, governments should require it and industry should do it. That means we've got to think about what is value from the mining process? How do we define value? The easy way of defining it, which is the one that we do at the moment, is about uh, productivity, cost, economic return, with a nod to things like um, livelihood, secondary employment, tertiary employment. What's much more difficult is valuing social capital, poverty alleviation, and then using that to actually derive design parameters. In my view, things need to change because the 21st century is m that much more complex. Part of the reasons it's more complex is because more people are able to access 
knowledge and information about what should and shouldn't be done. There are more communication channels. The ability to observe every decision that is made by every organisation is much higher in the 21st century, which is actually driving people to behave differently, people to have different expectations. It's driving change in its own right. So we have a truly complex system in the 21st century where we're seeing emergent behaviour because society can interact with the mining process and make a conclusion and start to drive change through regulation. And it's all happening much more quickly than it's ever happened before. And yet we're still using mining methods that were broadly set in place 50, 200 years ago. You know, I have a final question um, that I'd like you to think about. It's a two-part question um, as, a, as drawing things to a close. So right now today, what is the toughest issue facing the mining industry? And what is the toughest issue facing the Sustainable Minerals Institute? Can I add a third? Yeah, yeah, you can add a third if you wish. <laughs> Thank you. I, well, you asked me what was the toughest issue facing the mining industry. Um, I'm very strong on the fact that the mining industry is an agent in the toughest issue facing society, which is about how do we resource future generations. Um, and a lot of what's happening in society at the moment is making it harder and harder to mine. Um, so the toughest issue in the mining industry for me is linked to the toughest industry in society, which is if that's the way we want to live, how are we going to make sure we can live that way and deliver against all these aspirations of sustainable development? And I think we have a whole load of systems and structures set up that make it very difficult for us to have the right, have an appropriate conversation about how we're going to do that. This is not something just for the mining industry to resolve. It's something for the whole of society to resolve. And that brings me to the toughest issue for the Sustainable Minerals Institute, which is, I think, trying to get that message across, working out how to begin operating in that sphere, as well as retaining a very, very strong focus on providing solutions to the industry as it's currently formulated. So Professor Littleboy, thank you very much for this conversation, which I have appreciated. And I particularly appreciate the energy that you bring and the positive sense of hope for the future. Thank you.